Amen. Amen. We all know, Ivan, yep. I was down to turn that on and sing. I want to, I'm like a bomb scurvy, isn't it? No? You had it turned off? I was trying. So, uh, first of all, as I said earlier, you know, welcome to anybody who uh, this is their first time in church this morning. If you're a visitor, you're especially welcome. Um, we do stay for tea, coffee, and donuts at the end, so feel free to stay and have a chat with us and um, get to know us a little bit, little bit better. Uh, just before we start, I'd just like to pray first. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for, for the opportunity, Lord, just to, to share your word, God. It's so precious to us as believers. We rely on every single word, God, that you have given us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the word of truth, Lord. For your word, Lord, and the Bible is truth. Father, today is uh, we come together as a congregation, Lord, that we do have some sick among us, Lord, and there's some sick that can't be here, Lord, whether it's through their physical bodies or through emotional or spiritual, God. Lord, pray into that situation, Lord, and, and touch your people, Lord. Heal them, strengthen them, and encourage them, Lord, and we long to see them back again soon, Lord. So, Father, today, uh, as I just, Lord, this is just a bunch of words I've thrown together. Lord, I'm relying on you, the Holy Spirit, just to take control, speak to the hearts of your people, uh, encourage people, Lord, strengthen them, Lord. Lord, just give them that little word, Lord, and only you can do it, Lord. So, Lord Jesus, we just are so careful, Lord, that we just want to give you all the glory in this place. Amen. <laughs> you see that, though? No? <laughs> I was over there. <laughs> uh, today, um, today we're, um, our society we're living in, uh, we were at a men's sort of conference recently and, and they were talking about the breakdown of family units and the breakdown of families um, and communities these days. It's just getting, it's just getting out of control where um, we believe as, as Christians that the people are becoming hardened to sin, that wickedness takes over, that, that evilness is, uh, rules in the world, that families that we see uh, we see God's view of a family that we feel is the, the perfect unit, uh, the most stable and uh, long-lasting, efficient way to have a family, to have a fulfilling life. But yet if we, we share it, that we would be classed as bigots or we'd be classed of, as hate-filled. And um, we just have to look at society and we see the rise of, of young people in prison. We see, as we said, families are fractured for whatever purpose, whatever reason, uh, there's fatherless children out there, motherless children. Uh, addiction is rife. Mental health issues is, is rife. Our, our health service is at breaking point. Our government's at breaking point. We just don't know. Um, they don't know what to do. But you know, as we as believers, we feel that we are called to speak the truth to the, to the world, to give people um, the good news about Jesus Christ and and about His saving grace. And and we as believers. Uh, should be always encouraged to do that. Um, it says in Isaiah 5 and 20, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. Nobody knows what's good and bad anymore. It all mixes in and marries into each other. And people are getting so confused with this life. But we today as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank God that that we know who we are in him. We know who our identities are in Christ Jesus. 
1 Corinthians 6 and 17 says, But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. We are called to demonstrate God's kingdom here on earth. You know, a recent clip had, had been shown from a, from a pastor, and, and he, was speaking, he was speaking to his congregation, and he, he said, Listen, I am your friend. I am going to enjoy a lot of fun times with you. Um, but first of all, he says, I'm called to, to, to shepherd you. I'm there to lead you. I'm there to, to care for you. He says, I'm there to help correct your sin and your lifestyle, to point you more to Jesus, to obey the Lord and to love Jesus with everything you've got, and to walk in obedience. Uh, the pastor Stephen asked myself and Esther to, to become elders. Um, such an awesome privilege. I'm sure Esther's like me. We still don't believe it. We just, we're so humbled by it. We, um, you know, and Pastor Stephen asked me, and I'm sure he said to Esther, when he sort of charges with, by the way, you will have to stand before God for how you led your life, how you spoke to your people in the church, how they viewed you, how you led them. And if you don't lead them away, you've... And that is scary that I've been given that, and Esther's been given that along with Pastor Stephen, that we will have to stand in front of this mighty God who in Revelation comes in flames and, and he's huge and powerful God. And we have to stand and, and, and give an account for ourselves. And, and, but in one way, when you know that God is in something with nothing to fear, there is nothing to worry about. When you have that fear of God, it's not the fear of somebody putting a gun to your head and ready to kill you. It's the fear out of love and respect the fear that, that you know that you want to honor and serve him and obey him in everything you do. Colossians 1 and uh, 5 and 11, it says here, the faith and love that spring up from hope stored from you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard and it was truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. This man, Epaphras, is also mentioned in Colossians 4 and 12, and he says here, Epaphras is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus. He sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. So myself and Esther and this guy Epaphras, we believe he was, he was saved under Paul's ministry. Uh, and he, Paul was writing the Colossians church just to, to thank God for him. And that verse there that, uh, about Epaphras, he wrestles in prayer for you. And just this morning, I haven't started, it's just an introduction. Um, Esther and I as elders, along with Pastor Stephen, we're fully committed. We wrestle in prayer for the church every morning, every day. We are like this guy, Epaphras. He's a minister, but don't know, you know, if he's a minister, he's an evangelist, if he's an elder, we, you know, but he was called a co-servant in Christ. And at that time, Paul must have held him to high esteem because he didn't call anybody co-servants then. And this guy, Epaphras, wrestles in prayer. So from Esther and me and Pastor Stephen, uh, 
we wrestle with you. We want you as a church to be fully mature because a full, fully mature church will do many things because God's power only dwells when we're in the fullness of him. It can't come in emptiness or halfness or part-time. So we're actually reading from, if you want to get your Bibles, Proverbs 16 and 1. I'm going to try and tell you a quick joke while you're finding that. While you're finding that. And we got Proverbs 16 and 1. So on the first day it says, God created the cow. If you haven't been to church, this, this, I'm not reading out of the Bible yet. This is just a joke. So on the first day, God created the cow. See if you've heard it. You hit me a slap at the end. God said, you must go to the field with a farmer all day long and suffer under the sun. Have calves, give milk to support the farmer, and I will give you a lifespan of 60 years. The cow said, I think that's a kind of a tough life, and you want me to live for 60 years? Let me have 20 years, you can have the other 40 back. So God agreed. On the second day, God created the dog. God said, sit all day by your door of your house and bark at anyone who comes in or walks past it, and I will give you a lifespan of 20 years. The dog said, that's too long to be barking. Give me 10 years, and I'll give you the other 10 back. So God agreed, and he sighed as he agreed. On the third day, God created the monkey. God said, entertain people, do monkey tricks, make them laugh, and I'll give you a 20-year lifespan. The monkey said, how boring, monkey tricks for 20 years? I don't think so. The dog gave you back 10, so that's what I'll do. I'll give you 10 years back as well. So God agreed again, but on the fourth day, God created man. God said, eat, sleep, play, do nothing, just enjoy, enjoy, and I'll give you 20 years. The man said, what? Only 20 years? No way, tell you what. That 20, and the 40 the cow gave back, and the 10 the dog gave back, and the 10 the monkey gave back, I'll have that, that's 80, sounds good. Okay, said God, you've got a deal. So this is why, this is why for the first 20 years of our life, we eat, sleep, play, enjoy, and do nothing. For the next 40 years, we slave in the sun to support our family. For the next 10 years, we do monkey tricks to entertain our grandchildren. And for the last 10 years, we sit in front of the house and bark at everybody. <laughs> you know. there's, no, there's no barkers in here, so there's not. These are all lovely. So Proverbs 16 and 1. Ivan's got it before me. So... To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, and motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's ways, he causes their enemies to make peace with him. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. In their hearts, humans plan their course, and the Lord establishes their steps. And in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, it says, the, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? But I, the Lord, search the heart and I examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct. 
according to what their deeds deserve. So what about us? Are we obeying God's voice? You know, there's a lot in the Bible speaks about the heart and, and the heart. And do you ever when you're even around somebody and, and they're speaking to you and you know they're telling a lie and you're going, why are they doing it? Why are they deceitful? Why are they, they don't need to do it? There's no need for it. And, you know, and whether it's an ego thing, whether they're, they're a bit afraid to speak the truth, they're scared to let it out and they hide it within them, and the sin keeps telling them to hide it and be deceitful, because nobody will know. But the Bible clearly tells us that God knows the heart. Are we allowing God to establish our steps? Are we really? And do we know God is in control? Like when we get setbacks after setbacks, we hear rumors, there's maybe lies about us, and we always think maybe sometimes the grass is greener on the other side. It's People are quick to throw God out of their lives when things go wrong. You know, the thing that doesn't go, when our agendas are all off the scale, it doesn't work, we then do things to suit our own agenda. We do not, let, we do not trust God allow him to do it, to take control. When I, um, some of you know, I've been doing a lot of work for the last few years with people with addiction issues and, and problems, and I, we've seen many and many of them come to faith in Christ. And they come at the breaking point of life, where they're at their, what they call their rock bottom, where the drugs and the alcohol have just got to the stage where they just cannot cope with life anymore. And they come and they surrender their lives to Christ. And in God's mercy and God's grace, they find the hope from him. They find this new love and the power of God comes upon them. And I have seen it so many times that the power of God touches them and changes their lives and transforms them. And they get this new renewed hope, this new excitement. And they're, it's like the, the, the baby Christians when we first get saved. Remember when we first get saved and we're really excited and we're starting to, the springs are just flowing up and the Holy Spirit is continually working and moving in our lives. And then once a little bit of trouble comes, uh, the, the struggle you know, with addicts, a lot of them would be a lot of manipulators, they'd be liars. And when they're trying to tell the truth, they struggle. They can't tell the truth, but they're trying and trying and trying. And when it comes to a stage that they only know about manipulation, they know about lying, it's the only way they know. When they don't get their own way, they then struggle and they fall back because they're scared to surrender their whole heart to God. They're scared to say, Lord, this is me. We sang the song, Lord, my heart's open to you. Everything I have is yours. Luke 22 and 31, Jesus called out, it's Peter, but he's called Simon here, Simon Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, <laughs> Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. But when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. And here Jesus calls Peter his old name Simon. And he calls him Simon because his old name is Simon. And the old Peter, which was called Simon, would do wrong. He would lie to him. He would go back to the old nature. And us as believers, it's quite easy for us to do that, to slip back into the old way of thinking. You know, when we're new in Christ and God gives us that taste of him, we might have 10% of God and 90% of the old nature still living within us. 
but the old nature's always fighting with us and pulling us back, pulling us back. Do you remember you were a liar? You were a manipulator? You weren't a good person. Well, that's the person you will always be. God always pulls, or the, the enemy always pulls and pulls us back. But God says to Simon Peter, and when you've turned back, so he knew that when he slipped away, when he backslidden, when he fallen away from God, that he would come back one day. But he says, but, but you will strengthen your brothers. And Peter, one of the founders of the, the Christian church, was a martyr, was a, what a preacher he was. He was a, he was a madman, wasn't he? He was a real fighting for the gospel, fought for everything that Jesus done for him. But the Lord knows, he knows us when we backslide, when we fall back. He knows, the Lord knows everything in our heart. He knows every motive that we have. But for us as believers, three words here. Listen, I'm not theologically trained, so don't be uh, ticking me off and doing any scorn. <laughs> so um, three, three words, uh, three sort of points. I'm going to refer to three people in the Bible uh, for this to help us. And it's, the first word is ask. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Uh, ask and it will be given to you. Solomon, let me see. Those proverbs are written, as we know, by Solomon. And Solomon read those proverbs. You know, sometimes we go into proverbs and it's just all these nice sayings. And they're going, okay, they're nice, they're nice. But Solomon had been through everything in life. He was probably a mature man at this stage. He had seen, been there, seen it, and wore the t-shirt. He knew everything, what was going on. But Solomon, who had so much wisdom, so much wisdom that no other person will have it. But what he'd done was he asked God for it. And in 1 Kings 3 and 12, it says, God gives Solomon his answer when he asked for wisdom. He says, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. But if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. God gave him other things. He gave him all that wealth and power that Solomon got, that his father David had accumulated as well. Solomon wanted to be wise. And the reason he wanted to be wise because he loved God's people and he wanted to have the wisdom to lead them. There was no point in him having all the power and all the wealth if he couldn't lead his people. So he asked for wisdom. You know, for us at times, you know, that's why I ask God for a holiday. God gives a holiday here. God provide. God give us a new house. God give us that. Give us this. And, you know, we ask for all these different material things. But God's looking to see what's in our heart. What do we really need? Do we need anything that will glorify his name? Or do we need something just to meet our own needs? Like he asked for, for wisdom. You know, like who asked who be wise? Like a Northern army say, you're not wise in the head. Don't we? You're not wise in the head, me lad. Like Solomon asked for, for wisdom. One of the most famous stories for Solomon and all his wisdom, and he was famed for it, was a story, it's called The Judgment of Solomon, about the, the two prostitutes who, who had children, and one died. 
and the other one stole a baby. And they both came to Solomon and they said, she has stolen my child. And the two of them were arguing over it. So what Solomon did, he says, you know what? Give me a knife or sword. We'll cut the baby in half. You have half and you have half. And the mother said, oh no, just give her the baby. But Solomon knew out of her compassion, she would rather see her baby live elsewhere than see her baby killed. And that's what God's looking for. He's looking for compassion from us. He's looking for love from us. He's looking to see exactly what's in our heart. Solomon, uh, the son of, of David, as we all know, he, what a family he was born into. You know, look at David. We all, we all hear many stories of how he sinned, how he taken... Uh, it was actually Solomon's mother, Bathsheba. He fancied her. She was married, and he took her. Her husband was off fighting. And there, in recent times, I have heard some uh, preachers saying, I don't know, was this a form of rape? We don't know, because he demanded this woman, sent his men to go and get her. He then had the, Bathsheba's husband killed so that he could have her as his wife. And the first child they had had died. But David then came to God and he confessed his sin. And God had forgiven him. And he gave him this son, Solomon. Solomon, who would go on to be you know, the, the most wise and greatest uh, king ever. For a while then, <laughs> at the end of it, when God gave him all the wisdom and all the power, when things maybe start going to his head, he started neglecting God in his later years. He was starting to um, marry foreign women. He was starting to, is this the way he was starting as the kingdom, his kingdom was starting to fall apart? That he was doing the things that God told him not to do. He married uh, Rehoboam. And then the next, with his son on down, the kingdom then started to become divided. Then the kingdom of Israel and Judah just, it just kept dividing, dividing. And God can do that to us. We can be walking in obedience, honoring him with everything we do. And as soon as we start stepping out of line, it'll just start to fall away. Then we we'll start to go, what's going on? God, where are you? God's saying, I've asked you to stick with me. And you're starting to slip little by little by little away from you and to listen so, we've, so Solomon asked God for the wisdom and God gave it listen do we listen Habakkuk 2 verse 1 I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts I will look to see what he will say to me Daniel 9 and 20 Daniel a wee boy who was taken uh, captive by the Babylonians. Babylon would be the modern-day Iraq. The Persian kings had taken uh, Daniel away as a teenage boy. Uh, the whole family were taken as prisoners. But he was another one who was, he honored God with everything. He loved God. Apparently he was a good-looking wee lad as well. So he was chosen for his good looks and he was intelligent. And the kings used him. And he was used to be prophetic God used him because he could uh, read dreams, he could read visions, and he was able to, amongst all the magicians in the whole land, that he could answer anything the king was dreaming about. God gave him that gift because he would listen to God. 
In Daniel 9, verse 20, it says here, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my, confessing my sin, which is so important as, as believers, we cannot pray and ask. We need to pray and confess our sin first. We need to confess what's gone wrong in our lives, confess everything before we ask. And the sin of my people Israel, I'm making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in the swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out. Isn't that great that a word goes out when we pray? As soon as we pray and start asking God, if we come before him in confession and ask him, the word goes out. Isn't that amazing that somewhere our words are going out there and people are listening, that the heavenly realms hear what we actually say? What I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, therefore consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. No one understands this from the time the word goes out and to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench. And in times of trouble, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. The desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven in the middle of the seven. He will put an end to the sacrifice offering and the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. I know we all uh, know here what we're talking about. Us as believers know uh, what God talks about. Daniel listens to God. He listened and he, he gave him the vision. And through that, God was pointing him to tell him that an anointed one will come. A Messiah will come. I'm sure the people probably thought he was mad because they didn't know what he was talking about. But what's so significant about this, I feel, there's many, many pro prophetic words that, that work out in the Bible. The Bible isn't just, it's also a history book. It's not just a book thrown together. God has inspired every single word in this. When I get a little bit more intelligence and understand it, there's so much in this Bible actually all weave in together. We see Jesus nearly in every chapter. We really have to look for him. And here I feel God saying that, that he is in control. It's not because I'm saying it, because the Bible proves it time after time. Matthew 21, verse 1. And that prophetic, uh, that Daniel was given a vision, lead right up until today, Palm Sunday, 
without getting too complicated, because there's a few other commentaries um, have different wee aspects on it. But those seven sevens and 62 sevens come to 69. 69 times seven is 483, roughly. So it is. Where's my calculator? <laughs> seven, the days in Jewish time, in the Old Testament time, in prophetic vision was a year, was meant for a year. When we do the sums, and we look at the chronological aspect of this, when Daniel gives this vision, it takes it right up until from when Nehemiah, when Kenar Artaxerxes had given the word, I think I spoke it after Christmas about Kenar Artaxerxes, that, that God had used a secular king. He wasn't a believer, but God used a non-Christian to send people out to build a temple in Jerusalem. And we said it before, God can use non-Christians as well. It's not all about us being all holy and all perfect. God can use anybody. And God used that king. He sent the word out. The decree went out. You must build that temple for your people. He seen how important it was to the Jewish people. And when, with Ezra, with Nehemiah, and the, went out. And once the word went out, the king gave the word. Those first seven sevens is 49 years. And that's how long it took uh, to build the temple. And the next 62 sevens is 62 years. Takes us right up. They say right up until when Jesus was baptized and when his ministry started. There's some other commentaries I've listened to. You know, we have 365 days in a the year. They were saying the Jewish years were 360. So apparently when you come down to the days, if you do the 365, I haven't done the sums. I'm not smart enough. But these other guys who are smarter than me reckon those days actually come right up to Palm Sunday. To this day, this very day that we celebrate as believers. It's a day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And we're about to read the story here in Matthew 21 and 1. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them but he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went out and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees. And they spread them out on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus, when he came to Jerusalem, those days leading up until uh, when Jesus would see where he performs all the miracles. But he used to do miracles and say, you know, don't really be saying too much about it. Just we'll do our business and we'll get on with it. You know, just like us as Christians, sometimes as believers, when we're serving God, we just get on with it. We just go and do the job and just get on with it. We don't need any um, tickets or, or badges or anything. We just get on with God's work without complaining. When Jesus then announced that he was the Messiah. He was fulfilling prophecy. He was fulfilling what God said he would do. He described how he would ride into Jerusalem. You know, 
When kings go to war, they go on the big horses, don't they? And the big swords, and, and the king's on the horse, and he says, I'm coming, we're going to lead a battle, we're going to lead a charge. But you know when you ride on a colt, on a lowly colt, or a donkey, that's showing you're coming as peace. So, coming up a road, and, and Radio Ulster was on, and there was a guy talking about, he was talking about Muslim kids, about... Uh, about the majority of young Muslim men, the suicide bombers, that they, they're basically coming from impoverished uh, positions. You know, there's no money in their family, they're poor, they're nothing, and they're basically being told, this is all your life amounts to. You know, go and do this and honor your God. And these young people are doing it. And they were sort of trying to say, oh, the early Christians were like that, but the early Christians didn't. The early Christians were willing to lay down their lives for peace. They won't lay down their lives for murder, to kill people. And the, the early Christians, you know, came in peace. Jesus said, I'm coming in peace. I don't want to fight with you. I want to show you that God loves you. I want to come and show you what God means to you and to me. One of the pages here, am I? Just like uh, when I was thinking as well yesterday about, about Jesus coming in on the colt and all the cloaks on the ground and all the palm trees. Kelly said, where's her palm tree this morning? You should have got it for us. See, you have to think ahead. Think ahead. Um, all this big fanfare. Jesus is coming into town. Hosanna to the king. Hosanna. Jesus is coming. Sometimes we, you know, us as Christians, sometimes maybe when we're just saved or uh, something good's happening in our life, we think we should be treated like that, that we can walk into your room and all these fans and everybody's waving at us and everything's going to be great. But unfortunately, it's not like that. We'll walk into your room as a Christian and nine times out of ten, people won't like us. They won't like what we stand for because people in this world today as we said, good and evil's mixing in. People don't see that the goodness that we want to show, that we want to display God's love. Ephesians 2 and 4. I don't think I give you this, Ivan. Ephesians 2 and 4. And this is to know God, to really know. That prophetic word, even though I know it was prophetic, the the link between Daniel prophesying and Jesus coming, it really, really struck with me this week how much every single word in the Bible is true, that I have no right to question anything out of it, that God is in control, that God knows what's going on. As I said earlier, I thank God that, that, that we who are in Christ know our identity. We know we're one with, with God. Ephesians 2 and 4, the Word of God says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace express for his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith that is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works that no one can boast, 
For we are God's handy, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us too. I don't know if that, if that doesn't give you confidence in who you are in God, I don't know what will. You know, God gives us the ability to tap into anything he has for us. When we try to force things, we try to force uh, our own type of ministry, we try to force things in our work life, uh, we try to suit our own agendas, uh, it will not work. God will not honor that. God will not honor that. God knows the motives of our heart. I'm sure many of us are, are the same and we sit and think, you know, why would God use me for this situation? I can't do that part. I'm not qualified. I can't do that. But God really speaks into our heart. He really works with us and he goes, I will honor you for your obedience. I can see the love you have for me. And we as Christians need to show our love for God to others. Because we will not, when people sometimes with words, it will be through how we love others, how we interact with others, how we uh, share everything we have. You know, us as a church, I think it's great. We have a great number of people, but I don't think a church is always about big numbers. Yes, it will be brilliant when our, when our church grows. There's been prophetic words spoken over this church that this church will grow. But God can't make us grow yet until we as a church can do all our wee things together first. When we can serve in all the wee small places that we do. Um, just, I just want to say, yes, the worship team, I love the worship team. And, and I want to honor the worship team for everything they do and the commitment. They meet every Tuesday night. They practice. They lead us in worship on a Sunday. Um, we have Ivan and all on the sound team and Craig and Chris. You know, they're dealing with stuff all week leading up until today. They don't just sit at the back and tap a few buttons. They're working out how to get this right today. And I would say they're sitting this morning before the service starts stressed to the max. Like I was sitting there, talking about stress. I didn't know why the Holy Spirit was coming over, over me or why my legs was just getting weak. I was, <laughs> but I'm sure they sit at the back nervous, worried that something might go wrong. You know, if the words don't come up on the screen, the wrong uh, thing happens. For me, it doesn't, I don't, it doesn't bother me. I don't need to sit and pick out what I think's wrong with how people are serving in church. If people are serving with their right heart, God will bless us. With the welcome team, we'll have the, the one serving tea and coffee and donuts at the end. There's uh, the car park team with Gary. There's, uh, there's so many ministries, the youth, the kids. There's so many ministries going on at church. I believe when God sees all these ministries all being served with the right heart, they're not being served out of selfish ambition. They're not being served to puff up our own egos. They're being done with the heart for God, the heart for his people. I believe when we all come together one day and everything all starts, all these strings in the seat all start to unite and God sees he's rifting out all the bitterness, all the jealousy, all the envy. When God's love starts to come in, we will see a mighty working of God's power. That we'll, and we'll not be, it'll be hard for us to control it, but God will be in control. You know, we just need to ask God for the wisdom, for the discernment, and the asking where does he want us to go. We need to listen to his voice carefully, to really, really listen. And we need to take the confidence that he is in control. At this point, I was going to bring the worship team. There's no wee piano for holy music, sure there's not. <laughs> just come on up. So as a finish, just as a finish. So once we are saved, 
we are asked as believers to bring God's kingdom here. It's not anybody else's job. It is our job and our responsibility. We're asked to bring his presence, which we see up there. We're asked to bring his presence, God's presence, in every situation we, we are in. Whether we're here, out the back, we're out in the street, wherever we may be, we're asked to bring God's presence in every situation. We have to bring justice to the poorest in society. You know, next Friday's a, a great opportunity for us as a church um, to outreach. Uh, the heart of it is behind uh, Donna, Donna Neil, about kids who get free dinners and in school times they don't have a dinner. Now, it's only one day we're doing. We've invited the whole area, continue to pray for it. Tomorrow is the closing date. Um, we'll just pray that people come. Nothing to do with numbers. That people will come and, and you can display God's love. That's what it's all about, to glorify Jesus. That's what it's all about, to win people. And we're called to heal people. We're called to heal the sick and the broken. Yes, it's not always about raising people from the dead. I'm sure a few kids land in bed. We need to raise them from the dead in the morning, don't we? Some of our kids. But the broken in society, the desolate, the ones who society just cast off the side, you know, meet loads of people, the families have ostracized them. They don't want to know. And when you meet them, it's the same story. My parents fall out with me. My brothers and sisters fall out with me. I get sacked from a job. My friends left me. Everybody's deserted me, and I'm on my own. But we are called to heal, and the healing is to speak life. The Holy Spirit has enabled every single believer in this place with a power from above to speak life into people, to lift them out of their mire, to lift them and show them Christ. We have all that ability within us. We don't need no minister to do it. We can do it. We're to bring salvation and deliverance to let them know who Jesus Christ is. Let them know that as next week comes up, invite people to come for Easter Sunday, the day that we celebrate that Jesus rose again, that he died. And when he died, just like the disciples and his mother, and they didn't understand why he died. They were hurt. They were heartbroken. And I'm sure we have family members who are like up with us and friends we've lost. I've lost a lot of friends because they were maybe hurt and confused because I, I left them and I started to follow God. That is the biggest problem. The people are scared to follow God because they're worried about what other people think. And when God died, he died for our sins, and those sins of every single, everything we have done wrong. Now, we may think we're not, all, we're not sinners, we're, not, we're good people, but there's times when there are things to do right and if we don't do the right thing, that's still sinning. Because you, do you ever, and I do it, I'm guilty of it. When somebody says something to me about something, oh, I have to pray for such and such, whatever, pray. You go, I'll pray for you, I know sweat. And you don't pray for them. If, you be, if you're honest about it, you don't. Because I do it. I'm in situations all the time, oh, would you pray for me? Ah, yes, definitely. I don't do it. A few days later, I may feel guilty over it and say, God, I'm sorry. I was so selfish. I was more worried about my own prayers and what I need. I never thought about others. But God's called us to pray for others, others first. And God's asked us to bring peace where there's chaos, chaotic lifestyles. 
God's asked us as believers to go into the, the mess and bring peace. <laughs> now I know we have been in situations where we just don't have the peace. You walk into a chaotic situation, you go, Lord, give us strength before I knock somebody out here. <laughs> I'm going to headbutt somebody and then walk out of the room. <laughs> and you've all felt like that, haven't you? Uh, uh, we're asked to bring peace in chaos. And God asks us to comfort those who are suffering. God asks you to bring comfort. It's easy to bring comfort to someone. Just be there for them. Have a cup of tea with them. Have a cup of coffee. We don't have to be trained counsellors because our ears are stuck there. We've all got ears here, haven't we? If we have good ears, we can all be comforters. We can come and listen. Don't need to say anything. God's called you to, to comfort others. And the, the exciting bit at the end, I love joy. God calls us. That's how he brings his kingdom. For us to show joy to people who are in despair, to show them the love and the goodness of Jesus Christ, to show that the joy that he brings us, he fills us with this joy that we, we can't explain it. I have stood and evangelized in front of men and building sites, and, and I, I said, I, I can't write it. I, I, I need you to feel it. You, God puts this joy in us, but he can only, you can only do it if you ask him. I can't give you it. You need to ask him. No scientist can write that joy and that peace that passes all understanding. Only God's peace and joy that we get. Call it despair. Just to finish, that definitely finished. <laughs> Go back to Proverbs 16 and 6. We talk about Jesus being all through the Bible. And Solomon writes here in verse 6, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. We all know that love and faithfulness is other words for Jesus. He has given many, many words in the Bible. He's described in so many words. But he is love and he is faithfulness. Solomon says, you're going back, you know, whatever it is, 700 years before Christ came, if you change love and faithfulness to Jesus, through Jesus and Jesus again, sin is atoned for. So Solomon told us through him, only through Jesus Christ, can our sins be forgiven. I just want to thank Israel for Shirley doing the table this morning, for stepping up, um, being a true woman of God. And, and that's what I love about this church, that we will not be a church who are full of rules and regulations and rigid things, that we would be a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit, a church who flows in the Holy Spirit. Yes, we'll get things wrong, go, oh, we should have planned that right, but we will trust in God's goodness. We will stick to what God tells us to do, to love others, to love others. Um, there will be others asked to do the table, so beware. <laughs> I'll be looking for you. But listen, I will not put anybody under pressure to share at the table um, if you feel nervous, but pray about it. Pray about it. Ask God, um, what does he want you to do in the next few weeks, few months? Ask him for wisdom. Um, when he calls you to serve, it'll be exciting, be nervousness, be all those things. But I stand here today in God's strength and his strength only. I'm not a preacher. My legs aren't as jolly as they were. I think somebody screwed my feet to the floor. 
but God gives us strength and he gives you strength if you ask and listen and know that he is in control.